This episode of That Sport Gen is brought to you by Nobody, because I have no sponsors. Don't know if I'll ever get one for this, but, you know, nevertheless, brought to you by Nobody. So me and Mike, it was just me and him, and we sat down, had a little discussion, you know, a little conversation like we always do. We decided to make it into a podcast and, you know, bring this back. It's been a long time. Last time was about Michael Jordan in the last dance. This one is a heavy baseball-filled podcast and a little heavy Phillies baseball-filled, not on my fault. You know, I'm a big homer guy most of the time, but Mike asked me a couple key questions about a couple players, so it's his fault if we want to play it like that. But we do get into some other topics. You know, we get into the NHL a little bit, a little NBA bubble action, NFL, you know, you got the big name quarterbacks, you know, it's all there and it's all good and fun. So we're going to get right into it and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. It is just myself, Clay Thomas, and my very good friend, Michael Stites, over in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Michael, no, how are that, you doing? That's sometimes it's all you need. Sometimes it's all you need? Sometimes it's all you need. What, when we were talking about the intro? No, 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 just us. Oh, oh, no, yeah, we're fine, yeah. I'm we're, us. we're two uh, very brainy, brainiacs in the uh, realm Season of sports. Pros. Season pros. Yeah. Just going to be They're juniors in college. For a while now. What'd you say? I've been in the podcast game for a while now. Both <laughs> around about nine whole months, you know. <laughs> We've had some radio show experience. We've had some podcast experience. That's one thing I'm especially missing. The radio show? The radio show. I actually do miss it. There was it. a different element doing it live. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're really not wrong. I mean, I don't. we don't ever edit any of our podcasts, but like at the same time... There's nothing like being on live. Like, you just know, like, everything you say is just being heard right there. Like, yeah, it's just so. a nice... It's actually a nice feeling. All and six listeners. Yeah, and it's kind of... <laughs> and it's kind of weird because, like, when you're not on camera, you feel a little more okay about it. Because, like, when I'm on camera, I get more nervous than when I'm on the radio because people just... Oh, for me. sure, yeah. It's like a different element. It's really weird. When I'm, yeah, when I'm in the booth... You know, I'm. You know, when I'm in, you know, the. Uh, what are we? I I forget the, the Studi- damn name of it. Studio. It's been so what do we call it? New yeah. see radio room. Whatever the hell it was. When I when I was in there, I felt comfortable. In yeah. Way back, taking it easy. I I will say during the winters though, sometimes it was freaking brick in there. Yeah. Like the you hallways know, were you warmer. Show up, you show up in sweats. You know, you just rolled out of bed. You know, it's not terrible. You know, it's kind of you kind of make it cozy. It's your space. No, yeah. And I feel like you do whatever you want. Right. Like most times, like we were fine. Like we had our moments where we had our bad days where you could easily tell we didn't. We had just gotten done brushing our teeth and gotten out of bed. Like. We're like that. It was that soon that we were up and ready to talk. But I mean, there were other times where we just had great shows, you know. You know, it ended up just getting easy because, like, I ended up like not to say that. Okay, like in essence, like I didn't really care. Not not to say that, like, <laughs> like I really really cared about the success of the show, you know, and uh, what we did on camera. But you know, I sort of just like 
it ends up being, you know, when, when you start out, you're so nervous that you're afraid you're going to make a mistake. But, I mean, who the hell gives a crap about mistakes? Like, I mean, just make sure you're, like, you know, I mean, it's just kind of... You learn. The natural you sound. Cause you don't sound natural when you're fright, when you're scared in the beginning, and you know. Exactly. You sound like a robot. You just ended up sounding more natural towards the end because you're comfortable and you know you know it's working. You know you've been there, but. See for me. You don't want to get all your shit right, but. <laughs> See for me, like I always never worried about sounding like a robot. I worried over my stuttering. Because sometimes I just try to talk too fast and then I stumble over my words. I don't like go st- 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 I don't do that. But like I just like rumble over my words and like combine two words and like it doesn't make sense. You know, even if like you do stutter or something like you find you figure out ways to like bring it back and you figure out ways to recover and sometimes like that ends up working out even better. Than, like if you know if you hadn't you know stumbled a little bit. So you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of just it's raw. Yeah. There's no editing, and that's the beauty of it. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And, like, once once you realize that, you sort of get to settle in and you make it your own and you, it starts to come more naturally, you know. I can, That's the beauty about radio sometimes. I can totally relate. Yeah. So, uh, quarantine's kind of been like a lockdown, not lockdown, lockdown, not lockdown kind of thing. I've seen you've been chefing it up. You know, you're playing a little men's ball. How's, how's life over there for you during this weird and awkward summer? Life consists of two variables at the moment. <laughs> um, my job and baseball. So it's actually kind of a crazy story. Um, so I started out DoorDashing like you were. Yeah. And, and not going to lie, like, you know, DoorDash was fun and all. You know, I enjoyed it. The, the beauty about DoorDash was, you know, you made your own hours. Um, you didn't have to report to anybody. You know, you were your own boss. You dictated when you went out and all that stuff. But after, I think I did DoorDash for a grand total of two weeks. I think I was averaging close to about twenty dollars an hour. I think in total using DoorDash, I made about five hundred bucks. Hey, I'll tell you, five hundred dollars in the pocket. That's hey, nice. hey, hey! If you didn't make six hundred, then you don't have to file taxes for it. If you didn't make six hundred, so you better check in on that and see how much you made. No, you're right. I still have the app. But unless you, know, you unless you do it when you're at school. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I might. You know, who knows? I'm still up in the air. You know, it's probably one of those things that I'll do here and then. But it ended up being so. I think I did it for like two weeks. And after two weeks, I think I had put 500 miles on the car, <laughs> which is astronomical. Like, that's unbelievable. I had filled up the tank, like, four times. Um, and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't economic. I, I enjoyed it, you know. It, when you find when you work out the final numbers and all that good stuff, you know, I probably end up making, like, $14, $15 an hour, which is, hey, it's still great, but I drive a lease. And there's a mileage cap, you know, so... Uh. Yeah, I was I was fast approaching it, and that car's got to last through like November. So uh, you know, I, I kind of just decided that okay, time to find a new source of income. So um, you know, like as you do, you start asking friends, you know, feeling around, like you know, anyone know any positionings, like where they're working and stuff like that. All of a sudden, a dishwasher position falls into my lap. This place called Conchi Seafood Company. Quick shout out Conchi Seafood, and. Um, Really good stuff. It's actually only like five or six weeks old. Really, really new establishment. Um, doing really well because it's the only seafood restaurant in the area. But I start as a seafood. Uh, I start as a dishwasher, and next thing I know, you know, they're teaching me how to work the fryer, and you know, because it's easy stuff. But um, you know, it's it's nothing difficult. So I finally master the fryer. Next thing I know, a couple of our chefs quit, <laughs> and I'm the only one left. And all of a sudden, I'm sort of just, like, thrown into the lion's den, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm on the... Hey, Jess, how you doing? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll be with you in a minute. But, I'm, yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> sister's home too, so, you know, we're all in quarantine together. But, you know, right. it ended up being one of those things where, you know, I went from dishwash position and in, like, about a week, next thing I know, I'm being taught how to make, oh, my gosh, you know, crab leg lobster, king crab, flounder fillets, salmon, really, really good stuff, shrimp, broil, steam it, whatever the hell you can imagine, any type of way you like your seafood, and I'm doing it. And it's a really cool experience. You know, of course, it comes with the pay raise, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a really, really sweet gig so far. Um, eventually we sort of like we started to hire actual chefs because what the hell do I know I just learned the <laughs> recipe and learned how to make the crap but we hired we hired chefs people who actually know how you know like um, flavors and ingredients work and all that good stuff but you know I'm still making the same chef's wage and I'm still cooking back there once in a while and you know it's a really really sweet gig so um, and you know I'm making really really good money at the same time like I'm close to like $400, $500 a week and I'm getting like really really good hours like I said it's a new place we don't have a lot of personnel so you know I'm working the hours I want to work and when I need out for baseball you know I get off for baseball um, so you know life's kind of just flowing in one direction right now uh, two variables nothing special you make time for friends because you know you gotta see people you know it, it can't all be can't all just be work but um you know, we're slowly starting to creep out of quarantine. Like, I think I went to the driving range the other day, kept six feet distance, used my own clubs. I mean, hey, no harm, no foul. I went to the driving range, wore a mask, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I can't complain about life right now. Just staying busy, staying on top of things, staying busy. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, driving, like, in those two weeks, you had about 500. So, I mean, I don't go, I don't go rigorously every week on it. I mean, I'm still doing DoorDash mainly because... You know, the place that I would go to is a local VFW, but, and they were looking to hire about a couple weeks ago back. And I was going to mention, like, my old boss, like, I, over winter break, I was like, hey, can I pick up some shifts for you on the weekend? Yeah, sure, come on back. But now this time it's hard because then all of a sudden I'm having to deal with a lot of, like, stuff going on with my family. Um, one moment, Rip, Brent Lebo, my great, or my uncle, who was a great man, uh, rest in peace, Lebo 101. Um, so we were down there a lot. A lot of stuff started happening. So I really didn't think I was going to have time to like be able to be scheduled to be somewhere at the time. Being scheduled is tough. Yeah. I, I will admit it's tough. The last thing for me right now is I have pretty much a, a good amount of control over my schedule right now, which is nice. But... It's very nice. Very nice. Uh-huh. Very nice. Um, but then like with these new restrictions that are in place again now after the previous like let up of stuff. I don't know if I don't know if they're still hiring mainly because their revenue is going to go down. They maybe can't afford somebody else. Maybe they're already having to cut back some people's just I don't know. I just don't want to feel like I'd be an extra burden on them because hey, it's worth walking in. You know, you walk yeah. in and talk to somebody. You know, worst they can do is say no, and then you move on to the next place. Yeah. Very true. And I mean, I've only, out there. we've got about what seven, eight weeks left before we go back at this point. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, I did know my mom. My mom told me about the. Yeah, my mom told me about how apparently there was some dean's roundtable thing that happened, and like the park people from Park were like, "Oh no, you're not making this just freshmen only coming back first, because they got a lot of people taking studio classes like you and I, which is a big thing that they need to be in the classroom for." So I mean, hey, maybe we get to come back early and be in, be in some of our classrooms. Hey, that'd be that'd be ideal. That'd be great. And just be smart about it. If you're, if you're, if they're saying wear a mask, wear a mask. If you gotta be certain distance apart, if you gotta spray some stuff, wipe some, wipe some stuff down with some disinfectant. Hey, do it. 
Just be yeah. smart. Nobody wants to accidentally compromise something and then it ruins it for everybody else. Here's the thing, right? Park school, the park school works if you're not a freshman. The only thing that doesn't work are big, big lecture halls. We're not, we don't take lectures anymore. We did all that crap back when we were, you know, freshmen and sophomores. Right. Now all of a sudden we're in like 10 person studio classes, all that good stuff. And yeah, the you know, most we're not I've exactly had affected was... by an environment that would breed COVID. Um, you know, we're, we're in a good place now. We're lucky. I don't think the school's going to be able to find a workaround for people like us. They have taken like three studio classes a semester. There's exactly. like 12 people a class. Yeah. That's great. That's not, that's not a high risk environment, but you know. We'll have to wait and see what Ithaca's what decision they make. Probably not going to be a good one. Probably going to be let down. But you know, that's maybe what you come to expect now. I have seen some schools that are already going online, like you know Westchester University here in PA. Yeah. They went online, and I know a lot of people are bummed about that. I know I have friends that are med students. Like, how do you do that, man? Like, yeah. I don't know. But a little tangent there. But you want to know how this many... is a sports podcast. This is a sports podcast. But one thing quick before we head into our sports. You said the amount of miles you put on. Guess how many I've had since I started this and keeping track how of them. How long did you start? Uh, You've been doing it for a couple months now, right? Yeah, I've been doing it since May. I'm going to guess. Oh, shit. I'm going to guess you're doing about... And I have a Jeep Cherokee. I'm going to guess you're doing about 1,000 miles a month. Buddy. I think that's being conservative. I think that's being conservative. Buddy. I've gotten a thousand seventy four miles. In the in the total? Yeah. Total, total amount of time? Okay, okay. So yeah, I was doing it at an absurd rate. <laughs> three hours every No, day. I I always limit to myself. If I always said if I can make fifty dollars in a day, you know I could be living. And I'll be fine. Uh-huh. Um and that but the other thing is too I'm keeping track of the miles is because it's also a tax deduction, so I get that back when I have to fill out that ten ninety nine. Yeah. And right now, because I use the app that DoorDash recommends you use, and they give like this partnership with this app, so I get it six months free. Otherwise, it's like six bucks a month, which is hearsay, whatever. And that totals to about six hundred seventeen dollars, which is pretty nice. Yeah, we'll figure that out come February. No, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I just we just did a I just did my taxes the other night, and we had our fantasy draft. And what a transition that was, because we can go right into that topic. You know, because take we a... set the draft day for, for attack day. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> that's a transition right now. That's a, that's a season pro transition right there. It's a great transition, because we have a bunch, we have a few topics here, and you know, we weren't going to go in order, so I mean, hey, what are you going to do? We might as well start with the most recent bit of news, and this is, uh, I'll do a quick shout out to um, our other podcast we do, Everything's Fantasy, we'll be filming, uh, recording an episode of that later on, recapping the draft. We're going to do a quick recap right now. Clay, how do you feel about your team? Uh, my team? I think my team's pretty good. I mean, every team every team is pretty good. It's an eight-team league. It's an eight-team league. Everybody's got stacked. I think the best pitching lineup is Caden. I'll say this before we get into, like, the actual lives or something like that. I'm very impressed that we were able to fill a fantasy baseball league with one, eight teams, and two, we were able to get seven out of eight teams drafting last night. No, we had eight. That's impressive we stuff. Had, to start, we had seven. Yeah, he, back, but, yeah, he forgot, but like... And then all of a... stuff to get that kind of commitment in a fantasy baseball league. Yeah. You don't see that. They don't see that very often. That's special. The other part was... That's special. The other part was money. We are putting $10 into it. Yeah. We'll probably do like, you know, because I'm, I'm the commissioner of the league, so we'll probably do what I'm thinking is first place... Give them 70, second place, get some money back. That's fair. 
But anyway, um, for those uh, for everyone wondering how fantasy baseball is working this season, we're in a head-to-head points league. Um, I, here's what what I like to do with fantasy baseball is it can get kind of boring. Um, fantasy baseball sort of um, standards. I mean, ESPN standard scoring format I think is absolute garbage, and I, I sort of went on this. Um, rant on uh, the other <laughs> podcast about how terrible their scoring system is so I kind of make my own um, it would be hard to break down over camera but I mean over uh, over podcast but basically um, we're looking like the top tier players are going to average about 13 points per game those are batters and the top tier pitchers are going to average about 50 to 60 points a game um, and that's absolutely juiced and what I also did was for every month the season didn't start since the creation of the league I doubled the point values just to keep things interesting <laughs> and you know just, just to sort of you know run out the point totals so it's going to be really really exciting baseball league high scoring high intensity a lot of fun a lot of action it's going to be a good time um, but uh, yeah let's get into the rosters I haven't really looked at everyone's roster yet I've mainly been a obsessed with mine because I'm actually really happy with how I drafted but uh have you made any ad drops yet already that you were like ah, okay, well, that. here's the thing I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because um I drafted David Wright <laughs> oh yeah um, <laughs> and because Ari to this day claims I still look like da- uh, David Wright um you don't so you know I drafted him just because here's actually what I did right so for like the last two picks you know, I clicked on the, uh, I sorted it by remaining ranking, by ESPN's ranking system. I clicked that, and it showed me who was at the very, very bottom of the list. And there was, like, some 3,000 players in the database. At the very, very, very bottom was Juan Uribe. <laughs> I was ready to draft his ass, but three below him was David Wright, and I was just like, oh, I got to do it. I, I was kind of happy to throw, right, throw away a roster spot just because I was happy with how my team looked. And um, I, I think right now I'm first in the waiver order because I drafted eighth. So I'm dropping David Wright and picking up Starlin Castro. Hey, that makes me six seconds, so that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Starlin Castro, new team with Washington now. Second base and third base eligible, which is always handy. Um, he'll be my backup second baseman. You know, you, you never know what kind of production you're going to get out of guys like that in the shortened season. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh... So um, I guess I'll do a breakdown of my team and how I drafted. Um, I'll give a short little spiel about my strategy going in. Um, so drafting 8-9, obviously, you, I, I kind of like that in the snake drafts when you're at when you're last because you sort of get to do that little um, back-to-back pick combo. Um, so it's fun to prepare for knowing that you know you got two picks back-to-back. My strategy coming in was get a really, really good batter at 8 and then at 9, get a really, really, really good pitcher. What I didn't anticipate happening was Mookie Betts falling to 8. I had anticipated that my top batter, the best bat in my lineup, was going to be Nolan Arenado. He was ranked 12. I think that's really, really low. Um, I think he's one of the most consistent fantasy baseball players we've seen in the past five years. Um, He's going to bat above 300. He's going to give you 14 home runs in the shortened season. Um, 30 runs, 30 RBIs. It's going to be really, really good production out of him. You know what you're going to get. And then I was anticipating going after like a um, a Verlander or a Scherzer or a Garrett Cole. And then I realized Mookie Betts is available. That's a hard pass. I did not expect him to be available to me. And I'm thinking here, Scherzer is all of a sudden pitching in a very, very tough division. Um, the NL East is now a stacked division. Garrett Cole 
comes into another good division, the AL East. Not, you know, of course he's going to be good. Um, of course he's going to be good. He wasn't available at the pick anyway, but you know, I, I was kind of sus about him. Verlander is getting up there in age. Um, Degrom has had recent back issues, although he says it's nothing. I was sus about drafting him this year, so I kind of decided Mookie falls into my lap. I still have Arenado there. Let's just get two stud hitters. Um, so I do that, and then all of a sudden I'm without pitching until like the third and the fourth round. And I kind of anticipated this because here's the deal. Here's what I was thinking about a strategy in terms of pitching, and I'm glad I was able to in- implement it. Um, Clay, are you paused? No, I'm um, I'm here. I'm looking at the ESPN thing. So you can hear me? Yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. So in the shortened 60-game season, you play division opponents 40 times. So all of a sudden, I'm looking at what's the worst hitting division in the league? And of course, I think it's hands down the AL Central. So all of a sudden, here are two really, really good pitchers on the Cleveland Indians, Shane Beaver and Mike Clevenger, who had really, really good years last year. Both young pitchers, both healthy, both looking to build on previously good seasons, pitching in a terrible division in which... They play two-thirds of their games. So I'm thinking it's a really, really good opportunity for them to face bad opponents, and they're two really, really good pitchers on the rise. So my one and two are Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger, both Indians, obviously. And um, that was those are my first four picks. I went Mookie Betts, Nolan Arenado, Mike Clevenger, and Shane Bieber. Um, you, look at the, you look at the rotation, and it's not the sexiest. It's not jumping off the page and you're saying, like, oh, no, that's dominance. But I think it's going to get the job done, especially after going after two really good premium hitters in the first two rounds. I think I recovered well um, after not getting the premium pitcher. I think those are two guys that are really going to hold down my rotation. And all of a sudden, I got two really, really good dominant hitters. So I'm happy with the start to my draft. I'm really, really happy with you know the bulk of my draft, and then of course you fill in spots. I think I ended up with Manny Machado. Obviously, I hate the guy, but I think I got him at a good value. Yeah, you um, got him in your fourth pick. No, I think he put him no, in my fifth. Six pick. Sorry, six pick. And you know, hey, you never know. Uh, obviously, he's his career's trending downwards at the moment, but you never know. He could all of a sudden turn around and play like a second or a third round player. You know, you just never know with those guys, and I think I picked up Bogarts or something like that, and you know, Jose Abreu was the first baseman. So I'm, I'm happy with my team. I'm happy with the stars on my team. Yeah. The rotation, there's question marks, but I think my strategy is going to pay. I think it will, too. I mean, you say the AL Central is not good at hitting. I just just remember the Twins are... Twins exact. are there, but... Twins are there. They're going to get starts against the Tigers and the Royals. Yeah. Um, that's where you the White Sox. They're gonna White be Sox getting there. They're gonna get, they're gonna be there. They're getting there. I mean, they right. had the they had the batting champ on their team last year. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Tim, Tim Anderson, Anderson, right? Yep, Tim Anderson, dude's a stud. Um, but I figure, you know, I'll sacrifice a few games against the Twins and a few games against um the White Sox for. Some starts against the Tigers and the and the and the Kansas City Royals. No, yeah, it's not terrible. I think I mean, that's gonna. I think that's gonna pay. I mean, it's not like the AL East or not. Or excuse me, the NL East, where you've got four teams yeah. that all can like mash the ball, and then there's the Marlins. It's not like that, but yeah, yeah. But uh, to your point, I was surprised. Like this draft went wild because like I know draft ended up being like an hour and a half long. Yeah. 
I oh, remember there was a bunch of rounds, but I don't remember why I didn't pick Nolan Arenado. I was like, nah, he'll fall, he'll fall to my second one. I don't think he was gonna go that far because he was ranked low. But then you picked him. I was like, ah. He but was then, my target. You yeah. know what? I I played fantasy baseball for about five or six years now. Never once have I had Nolan Arenado. I've been <laughs> salivating over all these years. If I could finally get him, if I could finally get him, he's never fallen to me. I've never had the chance. Finally had the chance this time around. Had to do it. See, and here's if a, it, even if it's only for sixty games. The other way I looked around at it is uh, I was like, well, I'm gonna pick the best available shortstop. <laughs> Because, like, a shortstop for the guys that make good oh, so plays. Got Lindor. So I got Lindor um, okay. with my first pick. And then my second pick was Scherzer after you took Arenado. So, I mean, uh, I got... I'm high on Lindor. Yeah, me too. I'm I think he, he's a stand-up Lindor. guy, and he's a very good player. Uh-huh. Um, Hits from both sides of the plate. Right. Which then kind of bummed me out. After, I took Scherzer, so I was happy with that. And then uh-huh. all the picks after him was LeMahieu, Soto, Verlander, Martinez, Devers, Bregman... Uh, Bregman got picked in the second round only because Jack was on autopilot because he missed. <laughs> yeah. Jack has. He didn't, end up, he didn't end up getting a pitcher until like the seventh round. <laughs> he he also has like three or four Astros players on his team, and he has the two worst ones that everybody hates in Altuve and Bregman, which is just hilarious. But he has my. I know the two that I think are gonna, gonna get exposed. Probably. Um, um, so we'll wait. Hey, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So. I mean, they they could they got to the league for a reason. Um. But then, then in the third round, it was Turner, Blackman, Bueller, and I was like, ah, oh, I really wanted Bueller. It would have been, it would have been a great one-two. And then Rendon got picked. Then Flaherty got picked. I was like, no, I was thinking him too. And then Strasburg, and I was like, are you shitting me? So then I just went with my boy, um, Daddy Longlocks, uh, Bryce Harper. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what um, fantasy baseball owner would I be if I didn't pick my favorite baseball player? So yeah, sure. Yeah, and then I got my favorite guy. Yeah, he did. Um. And then I got I picked up. It was actually pretty funny. I meant to pick Catel Marte because he's going to be an upcoming star, and I picked Starling Marte. Still a solid player. Oh, still both watching on the Diamondbacks now. Yes, start both. That's why because I just saw Marte. I didn't see the first name or the first initial. <laughs> but then I got lucky because in round five, Catel Marte fell to me, and I was like, "Bam, taking him." And then I took right. Patrick Corbin, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." So I got Corbin and Scherzer. I got two out of the three best pitchers in in the um, Nationals team. So I was like set. And then later on, I was able to get my catcher, my guy JT, which was pretty big to me because I think he's the best catcher in baseball, and he puts up numbers week in and week out. Quick tangent: Do you think it's going to get the contract? Do you think the Phillies are going to give him a contract? They have to. They just have to pay that luxury tax, man. I mean, I don't know why they don't want to. Um, I. I, I think Jake Tiromuto is as close to a sure thing from the catcher position as we've seen in a very, very long time. But I'm still one of those long-time believers that you don't overspend on the catcher. I can but, hey, I can see your argument. I think Jake Tiromuto is just one of the exceptions. I think so, too. And he's very durable, knock on wood. Um, because he did not miss many games last year. He was never injured, knock on wood. Um... <laughs> Yeah, gotta be durable. But he's the best at pickoffs, dude. He throws people out at second all the time. I think he led the league and and he's broken uh, like a couple like records, like like stuff that you like the like next gen type records would be like crazy something within like how many weeks. Um, I think he broke the Phillies record for in a season. Um, I think he's the the best catcher since, or in our in the Phillies history besides maybe Darren Dalton. Um, Carlos Ruiz was a very good catcher. He wasn't up to the level of either of those two. We had Mike Lieberthal back in the early of the century, but um, I think JT has, easily has the best chances to go down as one of the best catchers to ever play. 
Um, but he's got a lot to pick up. I mean, he started his career with the Marlins, so nobody really watched him a whole lot. But, yes, if they don't sign him, Bryce Harper, your your poster boy, your face of the team, is going to be very pissed off. Here's the other thing about it. And you're going to piss off it's an entire city. Say Okay, so you're going to sign Realtor, right? Tough thing to say. How many <laughs> years would you give him? Um, I have a number in mind. I know there was an initial like plan what they would want to maybe do, but there's like so many things they have to figure out. I would say f- either five or six. Uh, I was thinking four. Um, there that was that was five like, or six. Also, play. Here's the thing, right? Because I, I like to make player comparisons. Um, JT Muto to me reminds me of an early 2010s. Um, Buster Posey. Okay. Um, yeah, and you, okay, so you look at Buster Posey through those postseason runs. When he, he was great from about 2010 up until about 2016. You had a good six-year span um, of about him at his best, and all of a sudden those injuries started to catch up with him because he was one of those catchers that stayed durable for a very long time that, you know, was kind of been an outlier. So that's why I'm thinking about four or five here. And then, of course, you can like get an ex- you can work an extension or something like that. Right. Um, but I think it's really, really crucial for the Phillies not to lock themselves into a long-term deal, where all of a sudden you've signed them to like six or seven years, and then it's year four, like fighting like back injuries and like knee issues and all that stuff that comes with the catcher position. Um, I can understand that. But I'm definitely giving him the money he needs. Definitely giving him the money he deserves. Yeah, and I remember the report. Just be careful about how long you tie yourself onto him. Yeah, the report was, I think, four to six is what the ideal was. The ideal years. That makes sense to me. And then I think think they wanted to do about $23 a year. Um, Whatever whatever it was would be the new... Um, record-breaking annual average for a catcher. I actually really like that contract. Yeah, I, I do too. And I don't know why Matt Clintac doesn't pull the trigger. That's I not mean, they not they were going after both Harper and Machado a year ago, and they yeah, said, they and they were like, money mindset. They're yeah, gonna you're gonna spend, you're gonna spend, you're gonna spend. Yeah, like people are like, oh, players. now the Phillies have no money to buy to pay anybody else if they're signing Harper. It's like, no, they have the money. It's just whether or not they want to pay the luxury tax. They're they are a historical team, and they have money. Like, pay 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 the luxury tax. Like, you're you're a very wealthy team. They're not they're not like the oh, Royals. Yeah, um, but. No, Clintac's been pretty sussed um, since he's took taken over. Dude, you'd be amazed at how owners want to avoid that in the luxury. You'd be amazed. No, yeah. It means nothing to the fans, but it means for whatever reason, it means everything to the owners. And I, I from their standpoint, they're they're in it from they're in it to make money. I mean, we'll see. I I think he deserves a deal. I would say, I think the Phillies can even get away with five years, twenty mil. A year, yeah. And I mean, and the last report was there's a chance he could hit the market, and I'm like, dude, that is the ultimate stupid move. Well, who's his agent, by the way? Uh, it's not Boras, is it? I don't believe it's Boras. I'd have it's to Boras look at it. Boras doesn't sign extensions. So uh, excuse I, me. I don't. I don't. Jeff Barry. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Then you know, I I think 
go with the ext- I go with the extension. Yeah, and I mean he loves being on the team. Um, and depending Don't on the market because once somebody like that hits the market, the price goes way up. Yes. The price goes way up. Yes, and there is a team out there that was willing to give him more than the next record-breaking contract for Who's annual that? average. Hmm? Who was that? Do we know? Or no, I'm saying there, there, there could be. There is a team. There could be a team out there that would be willing to do that. Thirty other teams. Yeah. Twenty nine other teams. I mean, if you're the red, if you're a Red Sox, you as a Red Sox fan, and you see JT Real Muto out there, are you like, hey, pay the luxury tax, sign this man to a big contract, or do you find well, basketball? Right, we're not going to pay the luxury tax to sign with you guys. I like the Red Sox current catcher situation. To be honest with you, Real Muto is not the guy we'd go after to break the luxury tax. Like, but yeah, I completely understand. Like, it's a, it's a great fight. You want that player on your team, right? Um, He's the best in position on both sides of the ball. Sign him. Yeah. Um, How old is he, by the way? 29. 29. I was going to say 28. 29, 29. 29. Oh. He's, okay. tw- he's 29. You misunderstood me. Um, young, young for a baseball player, to be sure. It honestly is. Like, people forget, like, Bryce Harper seems old, like, as an example. But he came into the league when he was, like, 19, so. <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people come into the league at, like, 24, 25. Yeah, there's a – I was watching the inner squad, and there's a dude out there who's been on the minors for – or he was drafted in 2017. So he's already, like, 20 – three years old at the least it's hard to comprehend age in baseball it, very, it is um, because guys get into league at so many different points in their lives uh, it's just like you have star players out there guys like Mookie Betts who I, I think is like you know getting up towards his 30 soon when you just wouldn't expect to be but you know that's why when Trout and Harper came up, everybody was all ecstatic. Yeah. Because they were so young, and it's like, wow, these guys are doing great things, and they're like 20 years old. Like, these guys can't go out and have a beer with their teammates afterwards, and yet they're out here hitting dingers and hitting doubles and throwing right. guys out from the outfield. It was, it's it's insane. But, I mean, I think that's where the game is kind of moving to. I mean, overall, like, guys are still starting out, the minors young. Um, but. My favorite yeah. perspective to use that I think still amazes me to this day was that Xander Bogarts was on the 2013 Red Sox World Series team playing third and we're see here we are seven years later and he's finally sort of coming into his own like he's finally starting to hit his stride and it's just crazy to comprehend how players like age in baseball and how you know players reach that level at different ages because like when you compare it to the NBA right you know what a player's going to be at a very young age yeah. You no, know, you know what they're gonna develop into. You just don't know in this sport. Like that's why baseball is so beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Look at the freaking dude on the Dodgers playing left field. I should know his name because he earned, he's earned my respect. The freaking um, batting crack, the fucking VP thrower. All of a sudden here he is just like catching same like fly balls out left and in their squad game and like throwing guys out left and right. <laughs> Baseball's a weird sport. <laughs> I saw. I saw. Reese Hoskins mashed one to left center. And I don't know who, if this guy's a prospect or if, or whatever he is, but he played soccer in college, and he was dead center and made the and you know how where that State Farm sign is down there in left center. Yeah. He tracked the ball and caught it on the track. Sort of like the triangle area. Yeah, he caught it on the warning track, on a run on a dead sprint. Like what? Let's <laughs> segue into a point I want to talk about. And it's uh, yours is a perspective I really really want. I texted Charlie last night. Reese Hoskins fell in our draft out of the top 100 picks. That's very believable. 
and eventually, you know, you pick him just because of the value, and you hope that, you know, he can finally, like, you know, get back to what he was, like, two years ago. Who picked him? What are your expectations for him this year in a 60-game season? Okay. First question. Who picked him? I don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, my expectations are not very... Picked, but... He did get picked. Um... So I remember watching him. He was one of the top two guys left for a while. Nobody was touching him. When I mentioned something, I was, I was, I was like, you know nobody wants to touch him because of how much he fell off. And if you touch him, I'd be very surprised if anybody picks him. Um, I was going to take him eventually. But for, for me, right. I mean, I had Paul Goldschmidt, and I was like, no, I don't want Reese. Sorry, I don't want you. But for me... So the dude was was playing well. He was maybe not up quite to what you would expect before the All-Star game last year. And then the All-Star game happened. And he just fell off a cliff and kept falling and falling. And he was hit. I think he hit like 150 or 200 after the All-Star break. Like, yeah, the dude just fell. I mean, like, I was texting Charlie about him, and I was just like, Yo, "What? What's going on? With Why is he falling so low? Like, you watch the Phillies every day." And he just said, like, he in two words, he just like not two words, but you know, his point was just like he looks lost. That was how he yeah. described, like he looks lost out there. Yeah, he definitely did. I maybe even a little slow at times, like with his decision making. Like I can guess he that attributes to him looking lost. I don't think a lot of it came with him playing first because that was his natural position because when he first came into the league he was playing left field because um, we had Carlos Santana so he made the transition back to first everybody's fine with it he was playing he was playing great first base I mean he had a couple bonehead plays every once in a while that was just rust and those went away but I I don't know what to think this year this year I don't know what to think sorry what the strange thing is I'm a believer in him <laughs> I, I keep thinking just like oh man I, I actually kind of like think this dude can actually like get it together but like I, I think it could happen I think a 60 game I think a shortened season will favor him oh I think it could but at the same time I don't know because I've seen him at his absolute worst and I've seen him at his absolute best because his rookie year he had that like whatever stretch where he had like 18 home runs homers and like the fastest ever to 14 home runs or something like that yeah it was insane and I mean, a lot of I can see he chases balls a lot because I've seen him hit home runs where the ball is below his knees in a way, and he like somehow golfs it over left field. I don't know how. Um, but then other times he's chasing, he's just not seeing the ball. And I feel like Girardi, who isn't as much of an analytical guy, I don't believe. I think Gabe, Gabe Kapler had a big impact on him. I think if he starts just swinging down onto the ball. Looking for that exit velocity and bat speed, I think it'll be a lot different. Because I did notice in the inner squad, his stance is different. He's got it. He's got it a little more down here now. His, had to change something. He had his, yeah, you got to change something. His bat was a little more lower. He wasn't having it like up here, you know, up around his head anymore. I think that also helped hurt him. It made his swing slower. Just gotta simplify. Yeah, and I mean, hands down close to your body, they're gonna be quicker. And and sometimes it sounds too. Sometimes it sounds too easy to say it, but just see the ball, hit the ball. You don't have, like, your nickname is Big Fella. You're the four hitter. But, I mean, in this day's age, I mean, you don't have to hit home runs every time. If you're that big and you're that strong, if you hit the ball, gonna it's going to go. Like, 
like when they had Ryan Howard in his prime, like all he tried to do was hit home runs and it worked. But he struck out a lot. But he was a great player. He was an MVP. Won a World Series. He was hitting home runs left and right all the time. But he was always trying to. Maybe Reese just isn't that guy that can try to hit home runs all the time and it would work because it just wasn't working. Um, but I did also notice he did look leaner. I think he lost some weight and he gained some muscle a little bit. He looked leaner. He looked a little smaller. Um, so I think that could play in his fact, play a good thing for him. But who knows? I, and I think pitchers are very, very um, uh, on the upper hand with this season. They're going to be more ready. They're tougher than ever to hit. Yeah. Yep. They're going to be ready. They've had a lot more easier times and chances to get worked up, to get work, to work out and get ready for the season. A lot less starts to make. You know. Yeah. Right. Uh, that'll be You know, that's well, a that's a great transition into talking exactly. about baseball in general for this upcoming season. Um, so not just the Phillies and Hoskins and Romito, but what do you think happens with a lot of these teams? You have a lot of inter- you have a lot of um, AL AL NL play here. You know, the the Yankees and Phillies play four times. I think we play the Red Sox three times. There's yeah, going to be a lot of West Coast teams playing West Coast teams. You know, this season's going to be a lot different. Uh, basically, just say East Coast, yeah, you, you said it. You said it well. Um, well, the big thing right now that the Red Sox, like, the whole thing, like, the vibe around the Red Sox team right now is just, like, you know, among, like, all, all of our podcasts and our communities, just, like, why the hell are we going to the Yankees seven for seven games and they're coming to Boston for three? That's sort of the, you know, the big Wait, one for Boston what? right now. Why, why are we playing seven games in New York and three games in Boston against the Yankees? But, you know, I mean, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, empty stadiums. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Yeah, you know, in baseball, you know, the home field advantage does exist beyond the fans because, you know, but... uh, You got that short porch for seven games. Yeah. For your lefties. Uh, yeah. Um, but in terms of... Okay. What I've been saying the entire time is I've been very surprised if we got a 60 games in smoothly. No, but it's not going to be smooth. <laughs> not going to be smooth. They're going to be hit. They're going to be hit bumps along the way. Hopefully, you know, minimal delays or whatever. Something like, something's going to happen. You know, some some curveballs can be thrown. Huh, pun intended. But um, <laughs> you know, I kind of I, I think what the MLB actually did well in all of this is they did a good job like preserving you know, the essence of, like, the visions and, you know, playoff formats and, you know, basically kind of, you know, just preserving, like, you know, how genuine the game is. Like, you, it's hard to put into words, but I think the best thing they did was condense the season in a way that made it mirror a full-length season as best as possible. Yeah. Essentially, you're with playing... What got, with what they got. Essentially, I think it's... You wind up playing probably five games a week, I think. Yeah. Probably about that. Maybe think, maybe six actually. Sixty games, sixty off days. Um, yeah. That, that's never easy, but um, here's what here's my thing, right? We were entering the whole COVID nineteen crisis, especially around sports leagues. We everyone was kind of buzzing around, sort of just like thinking, you know, it's a good time for leagues to experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw the NHL, you know, they have a really, really cool return to play format. Oh, um, it's, it's very fun. Teams are all going to play each other in round robin tournament, and the next thing you know, that's going to turn like it's cool. You yeah. know, it's interesting. But baseball is not one of you know the, the MLB is not um, one of the four major sports leagues, you know, that has ever been. 
it's progressive, so to speak. It's um, it's you know, old fashioned. You know, you need to find, try to find a younger audience, or you're gonna try to up pace of play. You know, you understand stuff like that. Yeah. But baseball, you know, we have a lot of older fans, and you have older fans that would not exactly be happy to see all these changes made. And I think that'll be understood. That and did a good job of taking 162 games, putting them into a 60 game format, playoffs included, and mirroring a full length season really really well here mm-hmm. uh, that's what I'll give him a lot of credit for here's what I fault them on we've already had a few times and I heard this on another podcast we've already had some teams where they've had to cancel a practice make something optional or all of a sudden they had to postpone a practice like because like too many guys something happened with testing they yeah. had all that time they had March, April, May, and June to figure figure this stuff out, and they never really quite did. It's their own lab, like it's their own place that they're doing this. They're not getting any help. They fig- they built everything themselves for testing and going through these precautions and checklists and everything, and they're already having problems. And I mean, it's one way to look at it. It's good now, better now to have these hiccups, and you know you can learn to fix them. But nevertheless. Who knows, all of a sudden your ace is supposed to go pitch pitch two days from now and it's a big game. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden he gets tested positive or something, what if, like, the test fails and he's like, oh, nope, you can't, you got, even though you didn't, ta- you tested and you wait for these results and they take too long. And now he has to get tested again and maybe he can't play. Or maybe he yeah. tests negative and now he can't play, which is a whole different thing. That's not on MLB. But I think that'll be a big thing is you're going to have certain guys that are going to test positive and all of a sudden they're not playing for like 10 14 days yes the funny thing is about it all right okay so for the longest time we had disputes between the mlbpa and the mlb owners about you know how we're going to play the season you know how the salaries are going to be and all that good stuff um we weren't really sure if there was going to be a season it was kind of 50 50 it was up in the air the entire time and it felt like the entire time Everyone was operating under the assumption that there wasn't going to be a season, and no one was really working towards making a season happen. The, the comparison I like to make, right, is right now in my town, we are literally repaving every road right now. And I like to say, we had four months of quarantine to repave these roads. Why the hell are we doing it now? <laughs> and the MLB is in the same situation. We had four freaking months prepared during COVID for a season, but we kind of just laid back on our laurels while... You know, we were in all these disputes between the MLBPA, the MLB owners about, like, how are we going to play, are we not going to play? And now, all of a sudden, here we are in crunch time with the, top, with the clock ticking, and we're still scrambling to try to, you know, figure out how we're going to test everybody, how we're going to operate our facilities, what's going to be open, what's going to be closed, you know, all that stuff. So, it's kind of just, just like, come on. Come on. <laughs> it's like, come on. get your shit together, man. <laughs> Pay for the modes when no one's on them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you mean. There's a lot of construction going on right now in, in my county as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is going to be one of the, it's going to be the most interesting baseball season of all time. Hell yeah. It's I'm gonna, here for it. Do you, here's, here's a question. Yeah. Here's a question. Do you think at some point fans will be allowed back at a certain capacity? Well, if you're the Marlins or if you're the Tampa Bay like Rays, I mean... <laughs> You might as well just open things right away. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get that joke in. It's a classic. You could get eight people in each section for the Marlins, and it would be like a regular game. I, I think the biggest thing in terms of fan attendance, like when news started to break about the possibility of NFL games starting to see fan attendance, next thing you know, you got your your, your team, the Eagles, saying no fans on all this year. See, now that's... More teams following suit after that. And we're talking about games in like, you know, February. I mean, like, 
uh, December, January. So to be completely honest with you, no, I don't think you're ever going to see a, a fan in the stands this year. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's it's tough um, to be okay with, but you gotta. Understand. I'd rather that I'd rather. Here's the point, here's the thing, right? I, I know during a sixty game season, I'm not gonna be able to go to any of the games, so I don't want anyone else going to the games. <laughs> we, you know, I think we're. I mean, we're trying to stop this thing. Yeah. As a country, we need to stop this. We need to stop this damn thing. Yeah. Um, I think you know people going to baseball games is you know very very risky. So yeah. Um, and you know yeah, the, the other I, thing. I, the other I, thing is too. Whether you believe in how vaccines are operating and working, and if you approve them or not, do you think if there is one that finally comes to fruition where it's done, because I think there's more and more progress on a certain one, I'm not up to the knowledge on that, do you think if there is one and all of a sudden you got people by the thousands or almost millions getting it, do you think that changes a lot of people's perspective on their safety about having this disease around? Okay, so... Basically, and with I, fans, I think a lot of people like to say that COVID nineteen was the new flu. We have a flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. I get the flu vaccine every every year, six months every year. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, we're gonna have a COVID vaccine. I think we're actually really really close. I was reading something today that says a company is starting to test on human patients a COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah. Um, it's probably not gonna be made available to the public until November. December, um, you know, of course, we're going to have to produce a lot of it. Um, we're going to have to make it available to a lot of people. I was going to um, say, do you think the price of it's going to be too much and then it's all of a sudden it's going to be this big, big pharma thing all over again? Uh, big pharma is always going to be there. Big pharma is always going to be a thing. Um, hopefully, here, here's the thing, right? The first company to come up with the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't even need to charge a lot for it. Mm, They're that's just very getting, true. I mean, that, that company's stock is... Like, if Bill Gates is... Like, if Bill Gates is the guy to do it, do you think he's going to be a nice guy and be like, oh, I've got these, I've gotten all this money already. Do you think I need to make this expensive? I don't exactly have a lot of faith in humanity right now. Neither do I. Uh, but, you know, but, uh, it's something to hope for. <laughs> I, I think people like you and me are going to have access to the vaccine. Probably. We're going to get vaccinated. Um, we have to go back to school. I, I'm sure that every... Um, private and public university is going to require kids to get vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine before going back to school once the vaccine is ready to go. Um, now, of course, we don't have universal um, health care, you know, all that, like, you know, um, we don't have a socialist medical, you know, health care system. No. Um, obviously, it's still a capital, capitalistic society. So um, there, unfortunately, are going to be students in the world who don't have access to the vaccine. So it, we'll wait to see what those schools do. Maybe schools even will provide um, vaccines among arriving on campus. Um, that'd be big of them, especially if we're still expected to pay full tuition if we're out doing online classes. I think that's the least the university could do mm-hmm. is pay for COVID-19 vaccines. Um, that could easily be included in the cost of tuition, um, I think. The amount of tuition dollars we pay, you know, I think, can cover a COVID nineteen vaccine. So, um, I I think once there is a vaccine, it's like we have a flu vaccine, people still get the flu. Yeah. Um. No, I, I, it's just gonna be COVID nineteen. Is just gonna be like the flu. Yeah. Um. You and know, I'll, I'll be I'm not gonna get it because I have the vaccine, but there are gonna be people out there who aren't vaccinated that are gonna get it, but it's not gonna be that big of a deal because the numbers are gonna drop drastically. Yeah. And here's, I'll be a little honest here, like, I don't get the flu shot every year. Like, it's just not, like, do I even get the flu every year? No, I think I've had it twice within the last seven years of my life, if I'm being honest. And the one time it was during, like, 
the rainiest week I've ever witnessed of a football during October in football, yeah. and I was still practicing, so I think that had something to do with it. That was, like, the one time where I had it, like, somewhat bad, but it just was never anything I was ever worried about, and, you know, I'm fine. Like, I have none of, none of those underlying health conditions for either for that either, so, like, it's... it's Right, weird. yeah. It's nothing I was ever really worried about, and I've, I'm fine. I'm healthy. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. But um, I hear it's on the way. I hear a company has right. it in place. I'm thinking... We don't know yet. Um, my, my guess, Regeneron maybe? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm following the market closely, especially all these big pharmaceutical companies. Um, we still don't know, but uh, apparently word is one's close. Yeah. And I think I saw I saw something where the woman, not the woman, whoever it was, woman, man, person, um, I don't remember who, what, who it was, but I remember seeing a quote that said, feeling fine and this and that. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is the start of something new. But that is the situation in the world of baseball right now. Not as good of a transition as we had in the previous transitions, but we have. But it is what it is. We it is what it is. We have other bubbles. We have the NBA bubble and we have the NHL bubble. Yeah. Now for NHL, I'm pumped. Two very different bubbles, I must say. Yes, there's two bubbles in the NHL. There's a Canadian bubble and an American bubble. We'll see which one prevails. Well, there's two NHL bubbles. There's, uh, isn't it Vancouver and Edmonton? I, no, I want to say Toronto when... Uh, maybe you're right. One of them's Edmonton, because I know that their stadium there that. is flooding. I want to say Edmonton and Toronto. Maybe it's Edmonton and Vancouver. It doesn't really matter. All the same. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> disrespectful. But. It's all in Canada. It's all in Canada. Yeah. But it's nevertheless, I think I'm more excited for the NHL one, mainly because I'm a Flyers fan. You know, they come in at the four seed. They were riding high. One nine. could be the one seed. They could be the one seed. <laughs> Not that that matters a lot. It doesn't matter a whole lot. I mean, now... It's all about matchups, baby. We're at the point in the year where it's all about matchups. Seeding doesn't matter. No more, no, no more fan interference. Like, the Flyers don't have their classic home home ice advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruins don't have that. Penguins don't have that. Capitals well, our don't. Bruins never really had home ice advantage. What do you mean? Really? Uh, our fans suck. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm not, I'm not as... in. No, because knowledgeable thing, hockey is I want to be very, two very very different sports cities Philadelphia I love it because it's great it's blue collar you got people who you know they make money they spend it on food they spend it on their kids and then the remaining money goes to Flyers <laughs> and Flyers games and all that it good goes stuff. to so the Xfinity really, really Live hardcore fans sitting in the best seats whereas when you get the Bruins you've got really really rich people who really don't give a flying fuck about the game <laughs> sitting in the lower bowl not exactly giving the team their best uh you know, given that they're all. So that's all. I, that's like all the Yankees fans behind the backstop wearing suits and ties to games. Yeah, it sucks. But it I mean, sucks. You know, that's that's the reality of the city. It is. But okay. I mean, no, yeah, I'm I'm excited because they were riding high. They had nine straight wins, and they lost to the Bruins. They lost. What was it? Two or one nothing. <laughs> two one in Boston. No, no, we didn't score. We got shut out. Oh. Um, it was a very low-scoring game, too. Nothing. Big. I know, because... Empty even, I think, maybe. Who knows? I remember, it was such a long time ago. It very was. It was the last time the Flyers played. Um, I don't know about the Bruins, but it was I the last time the Flyers played. But I, I know that was the first time the Bruins beat us this year. We were 3-1, because we beat you guys in overtime every other time. Because <laughs> you guys are not... The Bruins are not an overtime team. And I know you've told me that year. before. It was very, very strange. No, we were a decent overtime team, awful shootout team. That's what it was, because then you had, um, what's his name, screw up that one where we were at, where he tapped the puck two inches. Um, yeah, he I'm blanking on his name right now, it's on the tip Marchand, of my tongue. Marshan, Marshan, yeah. 
but that's besides the point because I remember that game. I wasn't mad about the game because they just didn't capitalize on opportunities because in my opinion, they outplayed the Bruins that whole game and Tuka Rask had an, an extraordinarily amazing game. Like the man, the man had like five to six or five to seven, like amazing saves that were like, should have been goals. The Flyers had a, one or two defensive mess ups that just screwed up their game because then they, then the Bruins capitalized those two times. Well, here's what I like to say about playoff hockey. Whose goaltender is hot? That, yeah. And right now nobody is. is hot. Nobody is right now. Yeah. Now, which is something huge because that's what the round robin comes into play. Bruins or Flyers play first, and then it's uh, the Caps and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, um, and then you play out through that. So the weird thing about this little four game round robin thing is, I'm gonna be interested to see how teams approach it. I don't know because it's like uh, do you, if you know who hard. you're gonna play, if you win, do you tank it or do you go hard? What do you do? There, there's a lot of strategy here. Um, but here's the thing, right? So it's um actually I'm very happy. I, I think the NHL did a very very brilliant thing in um how they offset that because in the beginning I don't know if you remember, but it looks like the original format was gonna be um like the one seed ends up playing the winner of like the play. five six something like that. So you know you knew at which point. If you came in at this seed, you were going to play the winner of these two. But now they changed it up so mm. that these four teams cannot um, purposefully win or lose games to predict their matchup because they did it where it's going to be like, if you're the one, you're going to play the lowest remaining seed, mm-hmm. not the winner of a certain matchup. So I think the NHL did a really, really brilliant job there because they kind of answered my question because I was sort of barking up that pole a really, really long time, a while back, a couple months ago. Like, if okay, say, say you're say you're the Flyers, right? And you see the first round matchup, you don't like it because you could potentially be playing somebody like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who you know come playoff time, they're they're, they're a decent team that could be a tough first round matchup. Then all of a sudden you look at a different matchup where instead if you come in at the two seed. Maybe you get like the Florida Panthers or something like that. You think that's a more favorable matchup. Mm-hmm. Do you purposely lose games so that you get that two seed? Now, teams in the round robin tournament can't do that because it's not as easy pre- to predict who you're going to be playing with what seed you come in as. Right. I think the NHL was really, really smart in doing that. Yeah. I think you explained that perfectly. You're 100% right. And I think it's going to be a big factor. And the other thing I think about is could a big name team like Pitt, the Pittsburgh Penguins get knocked out before the official playoffs even actually begin? You know what yeah. I mean? That could be insane. Um, and I think whoever's the one seed is probably going to wind up playing like the Rangers or the Panthers. Do that. Oh, yeah. And if I'm the Flyers and I get the Rangers, I'm pumped because they absolutely just, like, murdered them every time they played. The last time they played them on a weekend series was, like, it was, like, a Friday-Sunday thing. They put up 10 goals to, like, three. So, <laughs> um, Well, it's turning to, I mean, obviously, I'm not even going to start thinking about the matchups. We're going to take it one game at a time. Yeah. I, I think I would prefer not to say, okay, say, say, again, say I'm the, we're, I'm the Bruins or the Flyers, obviously. Right. We play each other first. You don't want to be, if you're the Bruins, you don't want to come out at half speed thinking it's going to be like a warm-up game. All of a sudden, the Flyers come out playing, you know, like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. And then next thing you know, you you know, you got guys dead on the ice. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams approach it. You know, um, re- our, our team is going to treat it like a warm-up game or our team's actually going to come out wanting to win. 
sure teams are going to want to win. But it's going to be interesting to see how they're coached, you know. Yeah. Maybe guys want to experiment with different lines. Um, maybe you want to alter your second or third line. Maybe you're not sure about it you know, after, you know, the whole thing. Maybe you see something different in practice where you want to use the first couple of games to experiment with different combinations of guys on certain lines, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I get what you mean. And the other thing, too, is with those first four teams, they're all very talented and very good and all capable of taking that one spot. Um, uh, so it's not like anybody's a guarantee. Um, now, not sold at the Capitals, but that's okay. Okay, all right, that's a fair point. Um, but They were struggling answering the break, but hey, maybe they get hot. Who knows? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's kind of an all-new season. Um, because like at that point in last season, I don't think anybody was going to come back for the Bruins' first spot. But now that you have this type of format, any, but any one of those four teams, in my opinion, can reach one. And I think... Huh. Besides the Bruins, I think I think the Flyers have the best chance. But again, um, the question is, how valuable is the one seed? We'll see. You're very right. And my the other thing you have to always think about with hockey, I think it's one of the most. I don't know how to describe it. People, it's not all about the money, and it's for the love of the game. And in hockey, yeah, you not, you always money. you always just want to win. Like, no matter what team you are, if you're the Coyotes back when they, like, a couple years ago when they're dead last, and, like, they're still going to go out there and give you hell, start fights, and try to win a hockey game. Like, it's nothing like, like, it's not like in the NBA where if you're a crappy team, you're out there and just be like, ah, oh, I don't give a shit. You're taking it for Zion. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one's taking for Zion on the, in the NHL. No. Like, I think that's a different. There's a lot of pride in the NHL. There's a, it's a whole different environment of. I want to beat you. I don't want to lose. Winning is the best feeling in the world. Losing is the worst feeling in the world. And it's just that's just hockey, and that's the pure greatness of that sport that a lot of people in America don't appreciate. <laughs> Hockey's growing. It is growing. It's number four in the country, in my opinion. But uh, well, let's switch to the NBA. Like I said, I think I I, I made the joke that maybe didn't exactly hit, but I said it's gonna be two very very different bubbles. You got hockey players, and then you got basketball players. Which bubble holds up the best? I think the hockey bubbles will hold up certain the best, but, you know, we'll see what happens with the NBA bubble if it actually stays airtight. But um, they're down in Orlando now. Russell Westbrook got COVID. Eh, holy shit. What just happened? <laughs> I think the NHL ones will hold up better because they're split between two cities and not all all how many teams are in the same city. Um, of course. I'm excited. Again, I guess we're being a little homer here today on my podcast. It's not, not meant to be, but... We don't care. I think Ben Simmons might finally actually start to shoot. And here's my evidence to support it. He has been he has been running the four. Um, Shake Milton has been running one. That's been reported. That's been reported. We've seen Brett Brown talking about it. Um, Peter John Clark of NBC Philly and um, NBC Ten, I believe. Has been there, has been there, and seeing videos, and I think I don't know if he's there, there, but he's been posting and talking about it. Ben's running the four, Shake is running one, um, and then Ben was asked about it, and he said he'll do anything for the team, blah blah. I'll do this and that. Of course, yeah. And it was like okay, and he and it was a little different, Ben. It was a little, it wasn't a straight answer anymore this time. I felt like it was a little more honest. And then you see all these videos of him at Sixers practices, and most of the videos you see are him shooting the ball. And then next thing you know, I see ESPN post this, like, six-page Instagram post, all videos. And one of them was from his YouTube channel, where he was at a workout. I think it was with LeBron and a couple, and I think Dwayne Wade was there and a couple other NBA players. 
And in the thing, somebody said, bro, you should shoot a lot more. Your game would be a lot better, blah, blah, this and that. Again, same yeah. bullshit everybody's been telling him. And he goes, one word reply, Orlando. And he said, Orlando? Orlando. Uh-huh. And I was like, hmm, hmm, is this finally, are we going to see Ben Simmons take his next step in his progress to finally shoot and become a potential top 10 NBA player in the league? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about Orlando. Here's the beauty of Orlando. You got these eight games, right? Eight games from out of the regular season. Um, in the East, I don't think the Sixers are going to waver that much from the five seed. If they drop to the sixth seed, so be it. I think they're okay with that. So you might be seeing these games, again, like I said with the NHL, you might see these eight games sort of used a little bit of, you know, maybe Brett Brown wants to experiment with so-and-so in the lineup and then so-and-so out here. Maybe he wants to run Ben at the four. Maybe Ben's going to shoot the ball. A lot can happen. Mm -hmm. I think, guys, like, not to say that this season doesn't mean any less than any other season for these guys, but, um, you know, certainly there are going to be different mindsets coming into it. And if Ben wants to use it as an opportunity to sort of, you know, um, take an it's not it's not gonna be a smooth step, but if no. he wants to use this opportunity to take that awkward step uh, up in his game, then I don't think you know, especially from a a, a Sixers fan standpoint, um, if you lose this season, how upset can you really be? Oh, I'm, I'm okay. Here, here, like you, I think a lot of Sixers fans will trade this season um, for Ben Simmons getting a jump shot. Yes, I would. I would. Like, so, dude, he exactly, can... Exactly the point, so... Like, right now, Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. In a year, if Ben Simmons is shooting, he's the best player on the team. Because he can do everything. He can do everything Joel can do. And he can pass with any of them. He's, his handles are impeccable. And he's strong and he's big. He's just like six foot seven. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's not, like, that's why everybody's talking about, oh, he could be the next LeBron, he could be the next this and that, and it's like, dude, if he shoots, he's easily a top 10 player in this league, and maybe a top 5 point guard, if he continues to play point guard, which who knows from this point out, but also, the other thing too is with the Sixers, I think this is a huge pass for Brett Brown, because his, his starters, his starters only played 19 games the whole year before the lockdown, and then... This happened, so you got to revamp everything. If so, if they just don't win, if they don't go to the finals, if they don't go to the Eastern Conference Finals, it's an easy thing for Elton Brand to say, "We're not going to fire you because you didn't get the same chance and opportunities." That it was, it was a little tricky. It was a little, it was harder in an unnecessary way to try to go that far in the season. So they could give him another shot, which I don't know if I would really want. <laughs> I didn't want Brett Brown to be on the team this last year. I thought they let their assistant coach go to the Suns, and I was like, why are you doing this? He's a, he's probably a better coach than Brett Brown. Because Brown let Simmons do what he wanted to do for the longest time, which was not shoot. Any other coach, I think you're like, bro, you got to shoot. You're going to shoot or I'm not playing you. That's probably what a lot of other coaches could have taken the idea of doing. But Brett Brown lets too much go, if you know what I mean. Let yep. players do what they want to do, and that was not always what I liked. It's um, a players' league, and sometimes coaches need to sort of take the reins a little bit more than they are currently. Mm-hmm. Still got to be a coach. Um, but I know maybe this can be something good for Joel Embiid because he worked his ass off. I know that because um, the pictures I've seen. And I don't know if you've seen him. He does look a little smaller. He looks a little leaner. And when I say smaller, I mean like less fat. 
Um, um, maybe not a whole lot, but I mean, apparently he got himself into the best shape of his life, um, like stamina wise, which is a big thing for him. Because you know, in these late games in the playoffs, post after these first initial eight games, he's going to be playing how many minutes a game, like he was last year. But yeah, hopefully Ben Simmons shoots the ball and you know becomes like a legit like regular basketball player. <laughs> I probably predict that Joel Embiid's the next one to get coronavirus, but we'll see. I the feel man, like should, the I man, get, but. the man showing up in the hazmat suit's the one who gets the virus. <laughs> yeah. Um. If you were the Sixers, by the way, and you all of a sudden Ben Simmons is shooting, the team's not yeah. the team's not mixing well. Do you think you're trading either Embiid Simmons along with Harris to somebody for some big name player? I think for sh- I, I I think okay so Ben Simmons has a shot. He's playing like a top ten player in the league, correct? That's the scenario. That's the scenario. <laughs> Yeah, I think Embiid's gone. Right. Because right now, they're, right now Embiid's the top ten player too. I, th- I think. I. I think Harris stays, mm. and I think he deserves to stay. I think you and I see a very, very different Tobias Harris. Yeah. Um. I'm very disgruntled Sixers Tobias Harris fan. I think he, here's the lineup I think that works for the 76ers. Um, I still think you can run Simmons at point. I think you can run Harris at... Um, I think you can even put him at the four. And I think you can put Horford at the five, which is where Horford likes to play. Horford doesn't like playing the four. He, mm-hmm. He's much better at, at the five. Yes. And we've seen it over the course of the, the year that when Embiid is out, Horford plays better because Horford gets to play the five. Right. Naturally. Um, and oh. then you trade Embiid for... I don't know who you'd even trade Embiid for, but you can get a good, a very good return and maybe good picks. Yes. So then I think all of a sudden that opens up positions for you know a forward and a good, a really really good guard. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and then that, and then that's where you have a lot of fun. Right. I, I think that that opens up a lot of fun, and you have the six then. Uh, all of a sudden, have a very like a lot of opportunities with Embiid. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of become a little more positionless with the most with the a lot of your starting five. Yes. So, like I but would. Then pro- at that point, I think you. I think if Embiid goes, Brown goes because at that point you're kind of changing the entire structure of the team, and I don't mm-hmm. think Brown can handle that. No. Um, He's been proven not to not realize. When Embiid's at his best, he's at the he's at the block. Mm. That lacked against Toronto. Yeah, um, so uh, I think you know, I think the team needs a shake up. Mm-hmm. I do too. It, it didn't work with Butler. Ah, mm, I wouldn't say it didn't work. I feel like that was a lot of coaching mistakes in that Toronto series because they were okay. So say they go to overtime, I think that's another close. That's going to be last possession wins that game again because I mean, that like, shot was like four bounces. Like, come on, that was two k. <laughs> okay, like Jimmy Butler's a fantastic player. We all know that. Um, and then you put him on any team, and it's going to make the team better. But that team sort of started to lose an identity of a team. It was a bunch of individuals in my eyes. Um, I can also see that. But he also didn't get along with Brett Brown. 
And I don't, no. I don't know how anybody can, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, but, I think the Sixers can lose MB, and I think the organization sort of loses a lot of stress. Yeah. I think a lot of stress leaves that building. Because, like, everybody's heart stops and they're and they stop breathing when they see Embiid go to the ground every, uh-huh. all the time like he's a very he's very athletic very skillful but he's so big and the harder the bigger you are the harder you fall it's it's a saying and I'm not going to mention that he's a hell of a personality and sometimes that's hard you know it's not I'm not saying it's hard to control but you know it's hard to deal with mm-hmm. it's not the easiest thing in the world to deal with that was the well, other that was the other thing that created a huge gap between Butler and the Sixers was when somebody said can you control him it's like dude no you don't talk about a person like that like I get it with certain individuals that can get to a certain point but Butler who is too prideful in that kind of a way and he was never one he, he reminded it okay this is a very very big comparison his personality kind of reminds me of Michael Jordan in his wanting to win and let yeah. me be me kind of a thing like and I'll tell you to shut the F up I'll be an asshole to you when I know you could be better because he said it before I will start screaming at you and try to make you a better player when I know you can be better because he's not going to do it just to be like if I'm not doing that like I know you're not capable of it you know what I mean yeah and he came into a situation where not to say like I, no I'm just going to say it he came into a situation where it wasn't his place to do that no because you got Joel, who's already top dog. You got Ben, who is practically a number, like, all, a, one small step behind him beat as a top dog. And then you've got Tobias Harris coming in, just trying to find his own spot on the team, more or less. And then he's in there, and he's trying not to, like, pick fights with people. And then you have J.J. Redick, who's just a shooter and a team guy. But I see your point. Yeah, well... Uh, where does that leave us basically it leaves us at the end of the season maybe Sixers don't exactly make a run to the championship and, but Ben Simmons improves his game a lot he get, develops a jump shot and beats out the door and then next thing you know the Sixers that organization has a lot of you know there's a lot to choose from there's a lot of different directions to go but I think it's ultimately better off mm-hmm. and I would agree with you I would say if Ben has a shot and it's consistent and beats out I don't. Th- I think there's a chance Tobias could be out, but I doubt it because he signed that deal, um, and nobody, max, yeah. not many, not many people were gonna want to pay that. Yeah, he um, signed the max. Yeah, he signed the max. No one really want to want to take that. So, but, you know. I would think in that situation, maybe Ben just becomes a four permanently. You trade in Bead, so you and at the moment you can have um, J- Josh Richardson be your two solid defensive player, good shot. Um, has a little bit has a little bit of an injury problem, but he's not. He's a good player. Um, Matisse off the bench. You have Horford at the five, and I think if you're trading and beat anywhere, you're gonna get star talent back and some picks. Um, so you could look at a team like the Trailblazers if you can get a CJ McCollum or a Damian Lillard for him, because um, the Pacers are for some reason not having a good season. I don't know why. It's just like this weird and awkward situation. Erks, uh, I said Pacers. I meant Blazers. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, you have a team like that. You have the Suns, and maybe you can trade for Devin Booker with Embiid. Yeah, Devin Booker is probably. I, I think. But you're looking at two teams who have established centers. Imagine, can you imagine Joel Embiid getting traded to the Trailblazers, and you have him and Hassan Whiteside there together? 
<laughs> maybe 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 Hassan is in part of that deal. The Suns draft DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. There's a lot of hearsay and like there's, there's a lot of roadblocks, but the NBA has been a lot crazier in who what they decide to do in a lot of things. Like the Knicks traded Porzingis. Trade us for Quentin Thompson. Do you know how ecstatic I would be if that would happen? Because then you can just run Richardson at point guard, and then you can run Clay at the two. Mm-hmm. That would work, in my opinion. And you still have Shake Milton, um, who can who. For some reason, decided to have like what was it like a fifty-point game before the lockdown? <laughs> um, uh, I think that was against the Lakers. Uh, but yeah, but like what you said, I'm assuming we're gonna see Lakers. My opinion, how the season ends up, it's gonna be either Lakers Heat or Lakers Celtics, and the Sixers are gonna look like a new team come next season and be a better team, probably without Embiid if Ben Simmons develops a shot. Uh, I, I think, think the Bucks finally get there. Nope, I think they choke again. That team is just has been so damn dominant this year. Or don't count no. Or Lakers Toronto. We'll see. Yeah, who knows? I don't I I just don't trust them to finish. There's certainly no talent. Who are we to predict? I mean <laughs> We're we're again just two twenty year olds going into our junior year. Yeah. But, where, where does this leave us? Do we have any more points we need to hit? Uh, here's a cu- there's a couple minor things. You know, there's there's three quarterbacks that have been in the news. First off, first off, Patrick Mahomes just became the highest paid athlete contra- or his just signed the highest contract ever for an athlete. Five hundred million dollars isn't even that much. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I love your sarcasm, and other times, like, dude, no. <laughs> like, come on. This dude is set for life if he plays out this contract. Yeah. Kind of surprised to hear it. I'm not. You know, you said there's simply tenure contracts simply don't exist in the NFL anymore. The last it's one. Kind of, I, the ones that. And you can be like, um, so you're a pocket passer now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this isn't the first time this has happened with Andy Reid. He had McNabb, and McNabb signed a 12-year deal in 2001. Uh, Michael Vick signed a 10-year... This is well, That was Andy Reid with, with the Eagles and McNabb. And then with the Falcons, before he was arrested, Michael Vick signed a 10-year deal. And Brett Favre signed a lifetime deal with the Packers, which we all know wound up not being that. He played for the Jets and Vikings. Yeah. So, a lot of it's guaranteed at the same time, and I think there's room with the way they structured it. Um, he gets a lot of bonuses, like with all this happening, winds up like the initial thing is 450, I believe, and then with a lot of bonuses and incentives, it winds up being like 503. And if all goes well, he plays up to um, achieves all those, no injury. This man is essentially becoming like the next he is the next thing like I think he is the new face of the NFL at this point I think that's absolutely fair to say yeah like it's his league now it's your boy your your old man your old boy Brady was the league and now I think it's Pat Mahomes he's yep he's, I mean it's officially he, happened the, the, the switch is like yeah, yeah yeah I mean yeah yep hey yep it finally happened like I mean Brady was that the guy for how many years and now it's all of a sudden whoa Pat fair Mahomes enough. won an MVP Go won a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl MVP, which I still think he shouldn't have been the MVP. They just gave it to him safe to just because for looks. And then he gets his contract. Like, dude, yeah, you're you're the guy. You're you're the poster boy of the NFL. Talk about a hell of a year. I don't. He wasn't MVP. Lot. He was the MVP the year before. 
Right, Lamar Jackson's MVP, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Pat Mahomes partying up, and he just became rated 99 overall in Madden, like, the day after. Like, this guy is pretty much set... Um, and he's still working. You know, the day after he signed his contract, he was up at 6 and working out at 7. Still has work to do with his brother. Stop. <laughs> Stop. You gotta get that in check first. first Stop. Get that situation in check and you can go. All right. To move to the Northeast, Cam. Ooh, Cam. As I think Dion or Michael Irvin would say on NFL Network, signed a one-year, what was it, $7.5 million to New England? Am I correct on yeah, that? Yeah, incentives taken up there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, well, okay. a lot of people are are not happy that it's only that much because of previous quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, who had didn't play a game before signing to the Broncos and had neck surgery, and was almost supposed to not even play. Well, here's the thing about the whole Cam Newton contract: the two sides agreed on it. Cam's happy with it. The Patriots are happy with it. <laughs> who the hell is anybody else that are the most? BS and like I'm not gonna take this too far, but the most BS I, I've heard is just like, oh, it's racial. Like shut the. F- oh, it's I know. Just, it's, yeah. It's just you have a quarterback here. There's good upside. You're taking a chance. He's had recent injury history. Um, it's a very safe play for both sides. Cam's looking for a chance. The Patriots are looking for a little bit of insurance at the quarterback position. Both sides like it. Um, you know, it's gonna, it could be fun to experiment with. Um, the deal saves the Patriots a lot of money. Um, Cam finally lands on a team. Everyone's happy. The Patriots all of a sudden have good cap space because they settled agreements with Antonio Brown, which sort of gave them another a lot more money in cap space they restructured Burkhead's deal so the Patriots all of a sudden have cap space maybe they can go get a wide receiver again and Aaron Hernandez yeah and, yeah, and that grievance too so the, the Patriots all of a sudden come in some money they save money in this deal um, it's good both sides happy Cam Newton looks healthy working out with guys what a happy story we'll see what happens when we work now here's my thing looking at it from seeing how it plays out He's five years removed from winning the MVP, but then after winning, after winning the MVP, he got shat on by Von Miller. Like, Von Miller destroyed that man in that Super Bowl. Yes, he did. He's known for not diving on the ball when you could have easily fell on it and recovered. That was my thing. I, I questioned his competitive nature. I questioned mm-hmm. how much he wanted it. Mm-hmm. In the in Super the moment. Bowl, you're not diving for a loose ball that's yep. the game is hinging upon? Dude, what the hell? Yep. Pretty boy, what the and hell then, is worried? You know, banged up in the Super Bowl. Come on, get and then, shit out of here. And then recent, and then recently, hasn't been playing well. He's he hasn't won his last eight games started, and then the game that he would have been maybe eligible for, but was injured. I think the last game of the season, um, with the Panthers, I think it was last year or something. I don't know, or two years ago when he was playing a full season. He Kyle Kyle Allen came in and won a game, um, and then the next year he didn't play at all, and then so he hasn't won. He's lost eight straight games up to recency. Long story short, Cam Newton does not look good at the moment when you look back, when you reflect back on the recency of his career. Mm-hmm. It's not a good look. No. It's certainly, but and here here's my thinking. Everybody all of a sudden thinks he's starting. Do you think he's starting week one? There's a. There's a lot of reasons Do for I not doing it. My 
my my my thing is I, I like to joke about situations like this with the Patriots. It's just like, okay, you get Antonio Brown, he's cut in two weeks. You sign somebody like Josh Gordon, you have your fun. You maybe he maybe plays like five. How many games does Josh Gordon play with the Patriots? Like eight, nine, and then yeah. he's cut. Um, is Cam Newton going to be on the team by week three? Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? Is Cam Newton even going to make it through camp? Like, <laughs> is he going to get injured I, again? Is he going to be put on yeah, the IR? I mean, there's so many variables, especially because the unpredictable, the, the unpredictability of Patriots roster moves is just mind-boggling to me to this day. You know, there's never any predicting who Belichick's going to cut, who's going to make the roster. And mm-hmm. then, do I think he's starting Week One currently? Yeah, a lot can change. And. If he I spent so much time convincing myself that Stenham was our next guy. <laughs> I'm still like, for all you Boston fans, no offense, but I'm like, dude, you guys are just, you're dreaming a little heavy with Stidham right now. The dude's played only preseason games, and if he's played in regular season games, it'd been garbage time, and he probably didn't do a whole lot of anything but hand the ball off. Like, I'm just being reasonable yeah. with it, because I've been... Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I completely... Like, from from what I've seen of him, like uh, as far as here's here's take a step back. I'm trying to collect my words. The only thing I know about Stidham is that Belichick and McDaniel's like what they see. Mm-hmm. If Belichick and McDaniel's like what I see, that's good enough reason for me to be optimistic about it. Then I can. I'm not that. gonna make any judgment on what he did in the preseason. He looked okay. He looked like a quarterback capable of making. You know the average throw. He looks like he had, he can run the ball a little bit. He can move outside the pocket. Is anything special? No. But I mean, at the end of the day, obviously we're not looking for the next Tom Brady. We're looking for a guy to bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Stidham was going to be a guy who could be uh, to live, like get us to like a nine seven ten and six record and sneak us into the playoffs at the last seat because of the play expanded playoff format. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I mean. Sinem was never going to be the next Brady, but you never know when another Brady's going to come by. So you're just looking for the next four or five-year guy. Stop that. And I thought Sinem could be, I was kidding, they say, yay, why not Jared Sinem? Sort of thing like that. You know, all of a sudden we have a lot of guys from all, we signed a couple UDFAs from Auburn that Sinem played with in the past. All of a sudden you bring in Cam Newton, who was an, also an Auburn guy. All of a sudden the Patriots are a heavy Auburn team, you know. Um, we signed Will Hastings, UDFA wide receiver out of Auburn that played with Sim. I convinced myself that Stim was a great quarterback because he beat Bama once. I mean, Ian, you know, there were enough reasons for me to kind of sign on to the whole idea that Jared Stim could deliver us a couple good seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm an optimist. I know. I am too. I am too. I am too with a lot of situations, especially like obviously being an Eagles fan, we're always optimistic. Um, but like from an outsider's looking in, I just thought a lot of the Boston fan base was like, "Yeah, we're fine. He's great. He's, he's gonna fill in. He's gonna take it stri- take it in stride. Take us to the playoffs. We're fine." Jared Stidham's a great quarterback. I was like, "Dude, pump the brakes." I'm not saying he's going to be shit or bad. I'm not saying he's going to be great or good. I'm just saying you don't have any clue whatsoever, in my opinion, until he snaps that first ball week one, and from there on out, you can judge him how you want. All we know... For me, the cat's in the bag. All we know is that Belichick likes him. Belichick has earned our trust over the last 20 years. Belichick likes him. We like him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that leaves us to the third quarterback in recency news is the beloved Dak Prescott. Uh, this is a hilarious. This is a hilarious situation for me. Um, being an Eagles fan, I hate the Cowboys, can't stand anything about them at all, ever. The only thing I like about them ever is Jalen Smith because he went to Notre Dame, big Notre Dame guy. I see all this crap about Dak Prescott, and I see his numbers since coming to the league, and it suggests he's some sort of top five quarterback in the league. But if you look at what the Cowboys have achieved over the span of time when he's been their quarterback, it has nothing, like, his resume aside from low these numbers or whatever the hell, are nothing to suggest that he should make any more than the average. No, exactly. So, here's my thinking. He, his personal numbers are good. And in my opinion, Carson Wentz is still a better quarterback because of them being able to win games and, and how he's won games. Even though, in a large portion, Dak has better better numbers than, than Carson. But Prescott couldn't put together a winning season last year with that talent he had and he couldn't beat a practice squad full filled team in Philadelphia when well, they put up what 17 points like you only and then they and they only put up nine in that game or I don't really remember like Actually, I do kind of remember that game it was a good game to watch if you're, I'm being honest it wasn't that bad of a game Miles Sanders had a had a great day um but and like people are like, oh, he's got Cooper, but it's like, what? What Cooper wasn't even on the field for the last how many plays? They have Zeke. Oh, Zeke. Zeke fumbled in a crucial moment. They were down the field. They were ready to prime the score, and at least maybe a field goal. And he fumbles the ball. Fletcher Cox, freaking top five defensive player, defensive lineman makes play. Nevertheless, um, pump his tires a little bit. Um, but, and then you have Michael Gallup, everybody's an upcoming guy. Now you have CeeDee Lamb, great young stud out of Oklahoma. Um, no real answer at tight end right now, but, I mean, they decided to pay Cooper what he wanted. They paid Martin what they what he wanted. They paid Tyron Smith what he wanted. They paid Zeke what he wanted. You, so when nobody's taking many cuts, how can you expect Prescott to... Be fine, or, or not be fine. How can you expect the guy who's supposed to be the face of the Cowboys, the quarterback, is the face of the Cowboys? How can you not have some other guys take a cut to pay him? Like, and I don't think he should get like some forty-five million a year, or guaranteed, or whatever. Like, it's absurd in my opinion. Like, the dude isn't worth that much. He has what one playoff game, one, two. So, uh, uh, no. Wait, he lost the Packers. I thought he beat Detroit. In a playoff game? Yeah. When did Detroit make the playoffs? Uh. That's a great question. I don't know. It doesn't, it I think it was twenty. I think it was twenty sixteen. I, I think he won one his rookie year, but nevertheless, I mean, he hasn't done a whole lot. And I mean, right now, any quarterback that looks to get a new contract is a bargain compared to Pat Mahomes. Um, that's what I feel about Wentz's contract now. That looks like a bargain. Um, but I don't think Prescott even really deserves to be paid what he's asking for. What he's asking for is too much. Um, yeah, he was asking for a whole lot of money. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. And over 
And I know there's a lot of people, Brian, Des Bryant said it today, the Cowboys never had a problem paying quarterbacks. It's like, well, dude, did you not see what they've done the last two years and this year? They're paying everybody else what the, all they want. There's a salary cap. This isn't Major League Baseball. This isn't um, the NBA. Like, come on. There's, there's this, this cap is a hard cap, and it's hard to abide by. Like, if there was no salary cap, the Cowboys could sign whoever the hell they wanted because Jerry Jones has billions of dollars himself. So... And, I mean, it's Jerry being Jerry again. He doesn't want to be stingy. He doesn't want to back off. And I think apparently there was a little give right before the deadline at 4 o'clock the other day. I don't know whose side it was, but I'm willing to bet that it was Dak's side because I don't think Jerry would have ever backed down. I just don't see it. Yeah, the thing, okay, so Dak's going to play under the franchise tag for 31 now. And um, he's taking the route the people say he's taking the Kirk Cousins route. And if you look at Kirk Cousins over the years, he's done well for himself in terms of money and salary. Like, I mean, he's made a lot of money under the salary cap. So maybe Dak takes the same route wherever year he just plays under the salary cap and makes decent money. He's making $30 million this year. Hey. <laughs> uh, okay. Ooh, hey, that's a good, nice good chunk of change in your pocket. Congrats, man. You're making $30 million this year. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. It might not be a deal when you want to strike, but I mean... You like, know, when you look at that... Route, yeah, taking the route of the franchise tag among quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins has done it. He's um, he's done okay with it. He, he's made decent money off of it. He was another guy that I didn't think ever deserved a contract, but that's not the point. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at two guys who... I mean, like, I mean you're looking at two maybe a little above-average quarterbacks here. A little bit. Making decent money over the salary cap. Their, their, their wins has... <laughs> made it really hard for anybody to try to pay them for, oh, I mean, Kirk the, for the most part. Kirk Cousins beat the Saints in New Orleans in the playoffs last year. Yeah, but leading up to that point, he never did anything big. Monday night football, Sunday night football, he always shrunk. He always yeah, played poor. Yeah, yeah, His yeah, team, yeah. I get it, he was on Washington, but they never amounted to anything. And But it's uh, exactly the point. These are two quarterbacks who are never really going to get that deal or end up making more money than they probably should by playing under the franchise tag. Yeah, I can see your point. But at the same time, like, Kirk Cousins didn't make it to the NFC Championship while Case Keenum did it the year before with a lesser team. Yeah, I mean, well, or not with, or with, or I mean, I mean, with like the practically the same team. Because he's the like, he's known for playing under the franchise tag as a yeah, quarterback. Yeah, I, 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 he makes I more money under the franchise tag than he probably should. Yeah, um, that's just why I use him as an example. But, but you know. do you think this is the first step to a divorce between Prescott and the Cowboys, or do you think it works out over the season or next year, or do you think it's another franchise tag? I'm assuming. Do we know how much money they have in cap space? It can't be a lot. No. Also, next year's cap could very well drastically drop. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. in the year 2020, they have $11 million in cap space. So right now, they wouldn't have enough to pay him whatever average he wants of like 45. Yeah, um, I'm close. And then next year, next year, it sits at 36. So no, they do not have the room to pay him 45. Um, but also next year's cap could either stay the same at around 200 or it could drop as low as 140 um, because of how how much this COVID bullshit could affect revenue. Yeah, well, I think... Yeah, sure, I have no reason to suspect that Dak and the Cowboys, you know, 
we'll be together in a couple years. Uh, I don't see it as likely. This is a league where you don't see contracts get signed for more than four years anymore. Yeah. We obviously just had an outlier with Mahomes. Like, nobody really signs contracts longer than four years anymore simply because it's such a high-risk injury sport. Mm-hmm. You know, teams don't want to tie themselves into long-term deals anymore. Mm-hmm. Even if they did sign a big-ass contract, I don't think that would be with the Cowboys in five years. Um, this is just even more assurance that, you know, this is not going to be a long-term situation for these two sides. <laughs> but, but, you know, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. From an Eagles Eagles fan standpoint, I laugh at the whole situation because we have we have it we have a good quarterback situation on our side. We have a good backup. If you guys could just combine teams, you'd be unstoppable. Yes, you could do that with any two teams, but okay. Um, uh, My point was my point being that okay, so you guys have the quarterback. They've got the receivers. You know, you know, they've got the secondary. You guys got, you know, the line. Like, you know, it's that sort of thing. I would argue now we have the secondary, but we'd have we have Darius Sly, and then yeah, I think our safeties are a little better. And then I think you have a solid, yeah, you have a solid one. Go get Jamal Adams and shit. They really don't have enough money to pay Dak. Yeah, I, I really don't think they can trade for him. No, I think probably Jerry's probably going to try to swing something, but I don't think you can. You can't avoid that cap. Um, but then also, like, if you combine those teams, great one-two punch between Elliott and Sanders is running back. <laughs> you just got to restructure. I think the Cowboys really, in a couple of years, are going to need to restructure a lot of deals because I think they really mm-hmm. signed themselves into money that's way over their head. Because you, you know who else they have? They also recently paid Demarcus Lawrence the year before, and then they also have to figure out how they're going to pay Jalen Smith and Van Der Esch. There's certainly a lot of talent there that deserves big money, um, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think they have a fantastic defense. I don't know. I'm not sure really why it doesn't really get them anywhere. But um, to be completely honest with you, but they have great defense. They have great thoughts on the defense that you really, you know. They do. But they're to get paid. But, you know, they you can't pay everybody as the old adage goes. But, you know, mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> and I think the other thing that happened too was last year they also paid Lyle Collins, which was another one. Um, and he's getting yeah, paid big well, money. Next year he's owed 12, then it's 13, then it's 13, then it's 11. So he's signed yeah. through 2024. So they've paid a lot of people. I don't think they'll be able to avoid uh, afford Dak. I really don't think it's going to work out. And we can do this all day. There's a whole lot of reasons why they can't. But Yeah. And then yeah. the very last point... With a team that I thought was just a shitty organization to begin with, a lot of stuff going down. Uh, new name, new logo, sex abuse allegations. The Washington, the the former Washington Redskins, are the biggest dumpster fire I have ever witnessed in sports. Not even, not even, not even for just being awful on the field, like. Like, the team has promise at wide receiver and quarterback. But, dear God, what else can go wrong for this team at this moment? It's just like, I mean, I don't even have, like, a suggestion for a name change. They've, they've got to just get over the hump of whatever the hell is going on. It starts at ownership. Like, they, somebody's going to be selling the team very soon. Well, Dan Snyder is a shitty person to begin with. Um, I think he has the most shares. Oh, the Redskins, the Redskins, the Redskins. But I know you're not talking about team name. I know you just said they shouldn't even worry about a team name at this point anymore for a little bit. But 
top three choices you would be okay with or you think would be cool for them to be to become? I don't even have three ideas. Oh, really? No. Um, have you I seen stuff like, circulating that, was, that you thought was kind of cool? Okay, here's, here's the thing, right? Okay, so you've got... Okay, you're, you're based out of Washington. You've got the Washington Nationals, the Washington Capitals. Um, and the Wizards. And, and the Wizards, for whatever reason. I, I think you <laughs> go along the route of, like... You know, meaning it's sort of like another okay, like the capitals and the nationals are sort of you know like represent like indicative of like the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could go along that route. I don't know. See, here's what I have seen. Washington congressman. I don't know. That that would be just everybody would just be like you're all dumb. We well, like, have the freaking Ottawa senators. I mean, but it works. Yeah. Um, congressman obviously doesn't roll off the tongue like senators does, but. <laughs> No. <laughs> when you think of congressmen, you think of politics, and then you just start getting angry. Uh, there might be a route they can go there, you know, with that whole sort of trend and that whole sort of, you know, theme of Washington-based teams. Yeah. I feel like they shouldn't ditch away with the whole Native American thing, because, like, in my opinion, from what I've seen, not to get political, Native Americans, like, when they're represented in sports, they think it's cool. The designer of the logo was Walt Walter Wetzel. Who was president of the Native American Association or National Association or something like that? I believe. Um, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna put it out. I gotta go soon, but yeah, I know we're about done. We're about done. Um, but he was the one who created the logo. Uh, he was the president of the National Congress of Native Americans, um, and he was also a part of the Blackfoot Tribe or Blackfeet Tribe. So that's one thing I thought. Create a new name, but maybe because the name is a little in, in, insensitive, in my opinion. The logo, no, because the the guy who created it was a Native American himself. But I think if they would go with the Warriors, it'd be cool. But there's already a big name Warriors team. You could go with the Braves, but there's a Braves team in the MLB. It's not like there haven't been. There was a Braves once and once upon a time in the NFL. But I think one that would be really cool is the Red Tails. Um, named after an airplane fleet, a uh, fighter fleet in World War II of eight or nine African-American men. It was the first African-American uh, military fleet in the Air Force, I believe, or something like that. And they had red tails on their planes to, to distinguish, distinguish themselves. So I think that would be cool. But, I mean, I think naming, getting new names and a design and logo is uh, not at their best forefront interest right now. They've got a lot to deal with. Right. Oh, Washington. Well, you know, Chase Young, right? Yeah, that's probably the best thing in Dwayne Haskins that they got going for him. Yeah, we'll see. There's going to be some fun matchups. Chase Young and Lane Johnson. Chase Young and Tyron Smith. Um, Yeah. I said some, but I realize there's like two. Yeah, well, we just need live sports, and we're getting there, so. We're almost there. We're this we close. We need to play. We've got a week till baseball starts. It's what, we the 18th? Close. Yeah, we have less than f- four days starting tomorrow. Yep. All right. It's a very exciting time. You know, it's all finally coming to an end. Mm-hmm. But, uh. Kind of. Yes. Thank you for listening to that sport, John. I'll let you close it out if you want to. <laughs> that was perfect. That was perfect. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, enjoy whatever you're doing right now. Enjoy quarantine as much as you possibly can. This was Clay Thomas, Michael Stites, signing off. Adios. Adios.